The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. I remember the first time that it happened. It was between my junior and senior year in college. Uh, I was at a Christ in Youth conference. And there was these things that they did each day at the Christ in Youth conference where they had electives in the afternoon. And my youth pastor told me, hey, you need to go to this elective. It was on vocational ministry. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even know what that meant at that time. But I trusted my youth pastor enough to say, okay, I'll go. And in fact, I walked into this giant like lecture hall, college lecture hall. And so I, I found my seat up at the top left corner because if I'm going to be straightforward, I thought if this was terrible, I'll just take a nap, okay? And so I went up into the top left corner and that's where it happened. The, the guy began to present and the second he opened his mouth, to the second he finished in prayer, he was speaking directly to me. He was answering questions I had been asking. Uh, He was dealing with the fears that I had been feeling. And he was taking the doubts I had and just squashing them left and right. There were hundreds of students in this lecture hall. And it was as if it was just he and I. Have you ever had that happen before? Maybe you've come in here and one of the pastors has stood on this stage and, and taught the message. And for you it felt like, hey, it was just you and I. Maybe you've read a book and and you've thought, man, this author pretty much knows my life as they've addressed me through it. Or a podcast you're listening to and and you're just like, wow, this is is for me. You did this completely for me. Well, as we look at Psalm 77 this morning, I want you to understand that as I opened uh, my Bible this past Tuesday, that this was for me. That this was for me. I knew it the second that I did. And my prayer this morning is that it would overflow and possibly be for you as well this morning. But if nothing else, know today I'm preaching to myself probably more so than anything. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the passage. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the rain, which seems like it's not going to end, although we know you promised it would. Thanks for the opportunity to open your word and to read. And as we do so this morning, I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that you would stretch uh, our minds, stretch our spirits, stretch our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning and thank you for speaking to me this past week. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So this past week, you might have heard in the news um, of the Memphis woman who was abducted. It wasn't this past weekend, it was the weekend before. And uh, I tell you that because I got to join, this was kind of where this Psalm 77 started in my own heart. I got to join with uh, some of my dear friends and former uh, co-workers as the woman that was abducted, Eliza, goes to the church that I worked at for six years straight out of college. In fact, she was abducted right behind the church, between the church and the University of Memphis, the street that runs in between the two. And so as I began praying, obviously I was praying the same thing, uh, maybe even some of you prayed, was that she'd be safely returned, found. Um, and as you know, on Monday, uh, her body was found in a senseless act of violence. And what I felt were my feelings started to rise. I sat with uh, an individual this past week who has just been absolutely crippled by uh, anxiety to the point where life is not really life any longer and my feelings rose. Uh, my wife and I have been walking alongside a couple uh, 
marriages that are struggling right now, and what happens? My feelings rise. I sat on my back porch with a, with a former student of mine who was anticipating the loss of his grandfather. My feelings rise. I listened to a couple of coworkers who have relational issues right inside their family with siblings, and my feelings rise. It's hard for us not to allow our feelings to overtake us. And yet at the same time, they do often. And the problem with that is, is then we begin to function out of what? Our feelings. We begin to live life, make decisions, look at our world based off of our feelings. And that's not how God ever intended it. We're not called to function and to live within those feelings. And yet, uh, when we have those, we need somebody to come alongside and help us navigate those. Right? It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Sometimes you have feelings or you walk through seasons of life where you've never experienced those. Maggie talked about that this morning, how she had walked through a season of life and what? God used her story to walk other people through their feelings. I would refer to that as counseling. In fact, uh, the American Counseling Association would say this, that a professional counselor helps clients identify goals and potential solutions to problems which cause emotional turmoil or feelings. Right, the problems I listed to begin with, that those, are, those are things that I, I've felt this past week. And I'm going to be honest with you, if I needed to, and I, and I have, and I've done so before, reach out to a, a counselor to walk through those, it's not a sign of weakness. Right, I know in a room this size with this many people, and especially with this many males in the room, that oftentimes what our perception is, is that you don't go to counseling unless you're just weak and you can't do it yourself. Right? I'm not going to go do that. I don't need somebody to tell me how to work through my own business. That's not true at all. First of all, you do. <laughs> Trust me, you do. I've sat before a counselor before. I'm thinking, this isn't about me right here. This is not my problem. And then he says one question, and I'm like, okay, maybe it is my problem. Why are you talking about that, you know? You want to fight? <laughs> you know, like, let's go. <laughs> you don't need to touch on that. I don't have that under control, but you're not allowed to talk about that right there. And people will go to counseling, why? Because they want to be healthier. Let me just say this straight up, straight forward, because this was the first year of my marriage. Man, if, if your marriage isn't thriving, you need counseling. That's all there is to it. My wife and I have been divorced after three years, I guarantee you. Unless I decided, hey, you know what? I don't got this. We got to get healthier. And I don't know how to do that. Praise God that I was willing to say yes to that. Because we're still together today by the grace of God. Right? This counseling idea, and this is what I want to tell you this morning. Because I, I want to tell you that your feelings are valid. Okay? Feelings are, are they're legit. I get the fact that you have those feelings is okay. I tell this to students all the time. I'm going to start telling you as adults. God gave you your feelings so he can handle. Right? It's not like because he gave you the ability to feel all that you could feel. And then all of a sudden you express that to him. And he's like, what in the heck is going on there? 
That's not what he does. So the fact that you're feeling them, God's given you that ability that you can express them to him and he's going to be able to handle that. And we see that in Psalm 77 through Asaph. So I want to tell you this morning, I want to tell you that your feelings are valid. But I got to tell you this too. They're valid, but they're not what you're supposed to function out of. They're not what you're called to function out of. We're going to see that in our scripture this morning I want to tell you as we start, this is my suggestion. Instead of functioning out of your feelings, because here, here's the deal. Your feelings, they're, they're not permanent. Right? I mean, I think about this. Look back on your life in those moments as you have really strong feelings. Like I can, I can tell you this just straight from my brother and I's relationship, right? There was a season of life where I hated my brother, right? Like I was like, we went at it all the time. He's two years older than me, and he thought he could, like, literally run my life for a season. If you're an older sibling in here, you're like, well, of course I could. If you're a younger sibling, you're like, yeah, they thought so, right? That was a season. But that's not the, I don't hate my brother now, right? Those feelings have changed. They're not permanent. And so instead of functioning out of our feelings, this is what I want you to understand this morning as we jump in. Our feelings can't outweigh our faith. They just can't. Your feelings can't outweigh your faith. Yes, your feelings can be strong. Your faith's got to be stronger. Your feelings can feel out of control. Your faith's got to be in control. Because that's where we draw our strength. So turn with me. If you have your journals, uh, Psalm 77, it's page 260. If you don't, you can follow along in your Bibles. We'd love for you to do that. Understand for this series, we're reading out of the journal. So this is the ESV, not the NLT. Psalm 77 says this, to the choir master, according to Judithan, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and the night my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. Excuse me. Let me back up. When I remember, I'm a God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and the years long ago. When I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast fast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. We'll pause there. You see, our feelings are legit. And if you don't see that in Asaph, I mean, just look at what he's saying. I cry aloud to God. I seek the Lord. My hand stretched out without wearying. I moan. My spirit faints. I'm so troubled. These are all feelings. The things that Asaph's expressing to God, like here's the situation, and we don't really know the exact situation he's in, but what we do know, it's obviously distressing. It's obviously overtaking Asaph to the point even which he says this, which I'm not even sure you're allowed to say to God. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. 
I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Asaph saying, like, you're not even letting me sleep. That what I'm going through is so difficult and hard, and my feelings are so overwhelming. Like, I can't even speak any longer. Like, I don't even know what to say. Because it's just become too much. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. To be honest, those are some really strong feelings that Asaph's having today. And, and the thing is, is that those are okay. And in fact, he ends to this point where he starts just to question the Lord. And I don't know if you heard that, so I'm going to read again. Verse 7 through 9, it says this. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? What I want you to do is put a bracket around that in your journaling Bible and just put feelings. That's what it is. This is the height of Asaph's feelings. And then next to it, you can maybe make this note as well, that there in the first six verses, there's 18 occurrences of me, my, and I. Asaph starts with a focus on his feelings. It's all about him. And the truth is, is that what I want you to see is this, that Asaph's at least willing to name it. Right? He's willing to name it. He's willing to say what it is that he's feeling, to be able to, to process that out loud and say, hey, this is it. This is where I stand. This is what I'm struggling with. And I'm going to be honest, like if we live in a culture right here, even in this room, that we're not allowed to do that. And we're just, we're just not. I don't know what your drive to church was like this morning. I don't know what it's like normally. But there's been times where we've jumped in the car to drive to church. And I'm going to be honest, I'm usually here before they are. And so I'm going to speak on my wife's behalf here. Where Amanda jumps into the car with two crazies on the way to church. And it's absolute chaos. And what happens when you jump out of the car? All right, tighten it up. We're going into church. We've got to have this together. Here we are. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I was about ready to kill my kids in the car. I'm great. I'm, this is the day the Lord has made, you know. You know how I know that is true? Because the next time somebody asks you, hey, how are you? Tell them the truth. See what happens. Hey, how are you? I'm not real good today. In fact, I'm struggling quite a bit. You know what I challenge you? The next time I ask you how you are, respond truthfully. I'll stop. I'll stop. The problem is, is that we just say great and keep moving. Like we're trying to convince ourselves something that isn't true. Or we're trying to pretend like we got it all together and we're, putting it, we're just going to put it together for church today. When we jump back in the car to go home, what happens? It's the exact same mess that we left in the car. At some point, we have to name it. At some point, we have to be willing to say, hey, you know what? We're not okay. In fact, I heard this this past week, and I thought it was so good. When you name it, it opens the door for God to change it. When you name it, it opens the door for God to change it. God can't change what you're not willing to be honest with. God can't change what you're not willing to say, hey, you know what? I've got an issue. I've got a problem, and I need help. I need to get healthier. 
It's not going to happen. Asaph, what's he do? He says, I'm going to name it. And he just does. The first nine verses, I don't know about you, but it's just like, wow, he's, I mean, he's really throwing it out there. I don't know if I've ever looked at God in, in my prayer time and said, you are the one who holds my eyelids open. Are his promises at an end for all times? I don't know if I, I've ever done that. But I probably should. But I probably should because if it was good for Asaph, it would be good for me. Because what I see with Asaph is once he names it, God begins to change it. Verse 10 is a little bit debated when it comes to commentaries. It says this, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of, my right, of the right hand of the Most High. The problem is, is that word that's translated years is, is kind of a funky word in the original language. And so there's one of two ways the commentators uh, translate that. Basically, it's either as like an, a finishing to all this distress and pain. And, and sometimes it's translated as uh, the most high, has the right hand of the most high changed forever. Right, so it's kind of like an ending, like an exclamation point. Like God has maybe changed in his character and therefore I'm just going to have to suffer through that for the base, based off the first nine verses as terrible as Asaph has presented in his life. Or the second option is the way it's translated in our ESV. I'll appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. It's like a turning point. Like, you know what, I'm going to start to look at the years that the Most High has been faithful. And I'm going to go with the second translation today because uh, I think that leads us to where we're going in the second half. And either way, it leads us to where we're going in the second half. Asaph then makes this shift. It's the same shift we're called to make. And he does it in three steps. But I'm going to read it first. Verse 11 says this. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder the works, all your work, and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. You see, there's this, this shift. We started out in, in his feelings, and now we're looking at what? God's faithfulness. In fact, I would say that we can learn a little three-step process from Asaph on how do we get this place of just feelings and being overwhelmed by our feelings back to focusing on God's faithfulness. And the first part of that process is to remember God's great works in your life. Remember the great works in your life. He says there in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. He's going to remember the things that God has done in the past for Asaph, for himself. And I started to think about this in my own life. And one of my favorite discipleship processes I actually did here at White River is called the journey. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. But the journey is this uh, process where you look at over the, uh, the length of your life, the events that have taken place. And one of the exercises that you do is you take this poster board. And you take post-its, yellow, pink, and blue, and, and you write on these post-its the big moments of your life. So the yellow are the moments where God showed up. The pink are the moments where things went wrong. And then the blue are kind of the turning points. And so I have a picture of uh, just the first half of my poster board. I didn't take a picture of the full thing. But so you can kind of see 
what happens here, and it's maybe a little bit difficult to see, but right, it, it, it starts with this pink. And really, my walk with Jesus started with nothing but bad things. And I would say that my, my feelings were at all-time high when I left uh, as a freshman to go to this thing called Christ and Youth with a bunch of guys who convinced me to go. And then all of a sudden, I have there at the top, it says, Jesus pursues. And then what do you see? You see yellow, 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 and then it's back to pink again. Hard times come. These good things happened as a result of putting myself in a place where I could look at God's faithfulness he could provide. And then hard things happen, and then you jump back up to the top, and what happens? A yellow thing appears. And then it goes back to pink, and then it goes back to yellow. And truthfully, that not that how it works? Like our, our, our lives go from this, these hard times to, to all of a sudden this, something good happens and things turn and then it goes back to these hard times. But when I look back at that poster board as the, in its entirety, I can remember the moment that I got done putting everything on the poster board and I just took it and held it in front of my face and I was like, whoa. God has been so faithful to me. God has shown up Every time I've hit one of these deep, dark places. Almost as if I wanted to take that poster board and just put it on my wall in my office and just say, hey, every time I hit another dark spot, I just need to look at this poster board. And remember that God is faithful, that God does provide. It reminds me of a quote that my boss, uh, that I, Asked me to pray for Eliza this past week. He used to say all the time, don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. When you're in the midst of those feelings and those hard, difficult life situations, don't doubt what you know right then about who God is when everything's going great. That's what Asaph's saying. The first step for us is to acknowledge how has the Lord and what his great works in our own life been true in the past. It's what he calls us to first and foremost. Second, he says this. Well, before I move on to second, let me just say this for you, the, our parents out there. As, this is hard for me to say. As the former youth pastor here, I don't like that, okay? Just telling you, I'm still not okay with that. All right? As a former youth pastor here, well, I'm going to tell you this. Your kids will know God is faithful by how you recount his faithfulness in your life. My 11 and 9-year-old have not experienced too much despair in their life. Praise God for that. But when they do, and they will, the question is, will they trust that God is faithful based off the way that I have told them? The way that I've lived it out, the way I've recounted how he's been faithful to us. If you haven't had an opportunity, I would tell you to take one, find one, search one out, to tell your kids about how God's been faithful to you, to your spouse, to your family. Our, the kids and I and Amanda, we, we took last weekend when we went down to the ark. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's, it's kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you. Uh, a day like today... Makes me thankful we have an ark in Kentucky, right? <laughs> just in case, all right, just in case. Uh, I know he promised, but you never know, you know, just kidding. But we went down to the ark, and as we're walking through it, I, you know, little minds. You know, I have no idea what Taylor and him are going to ask that day. 
And finally, I think Amanda and Emma were in the bathroom, and Taylor looked at me and goes, hey, Dad. I said, yeah, but I had no clue this was getting ready to be asked. Dad, if no one is family and, you know, those other people that went with him, if they survived the flood, what happened to everybody else? That's a great question, bud. Everybody else died. Why, Dad? Because God is good? Because God decided, hey, Noah is a guy who follows the Lord, and so I'm going to choose Noah, and I'm going to put him on the boat, and because he showed grace to Noah, and because God ultimately is faithful. Yeah, that's real confusing. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That could be confusing to you. Let's keep talking about that. And so we have, right? He reminds me right before we go to bed. It's awesome. That's a great time. Right when I'm trying to get you to go to sleep. Let's talk about God's faithfulness, right? <laughs> but if you're not taking that opportunity to tell your kids, you're missing out on one of the biggest keys of discipleship. Because when they hit those hard times, I pray that my kids will say, you know what, this is difficult, but God's faithful. And I know that because mom and dad have told us and because he was to them and this and that and this and that. So take that opportunity, parents. The second thing Asaph tells us, the second thing he says, I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. So I would encourage you to meditate on his great works in our past. What do I mean by our past? I mean the history of those who follow Jesus. You know the greatest way to do that is? Is to get into the word of God. To get your kids into the word of God. To read over and over how God has shown up for his people through his word. To look back that that God has continued to be faithful through people like Noah and Moses and Abraham. Through our New Testament disciples. Right? How has God been faithful to them? And, And be able to see, hey, you know what? God's been faithful not just in my life, but he's also been faithful in the history of those who follow Jesus. And therefore, He's surely going to be faithful right now in this moment of heightened feeling for me. In fact, we see Asaph do this immediately. If you look at the very last portion of Psalm 77, which I'll read to you, he recalls, and I kind of wrote this in here, it's really the greatness of God at the Red Sea. He describes it a little bit differently than what we know it from the Bible story found uh, in Genesis, but it's the exact same story. He says this in verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. They crashed. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He does exactly what he's telling us to do. He says, hey, I need you to meditate on what he did in the past, and then I'm going to go ahead and give you a story where you can do just that. What did God do? Behind the Israelites, he put a cloud so that way uh, the Egyptians couldn't see them, find them, search them out, catch up to them, and then he splits the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. He was faithful. It was a great work. Things like that aren't just naturally happening every day. 
It was his faithfulness that did that. So Asaph tells us, hey, listen, you know, your feelings can't outweigh your faith, Asaph. He's almost telling himself that very thing. And so the first part is this focus on his feelings, and then he gives us three steps. The first is to remember the deeds, the great deeds of God in your own life. The second is to meditate on the great deeds of those in our past. And then the third, verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like you, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And so last, tell of God's great works to others. Tell of God's great works. Because you know what happens when we tell these stories? You know what happens when I tell Taylor and Emma how God showed up for us? Or when I tell Taylor and Emma about how God showed up for his people? It builds my own faith. It encourages my own heart. It reminds me that he's faithful even in a moment where I might not feel like he's faithful. Again, you can make a note of this. And I I did in my Bible, verse 10 through 15, I put a little bracket around it again and I just put faith. Because you see, Asaph ends with his feelings, verse 10 transitions, and then he goes right into faith. You can put this as well. In verses 13 through 20, we see 20 occurrences of God's name and not one personal reference at all. Why? Because Asaph has stopped focusing on his feelings and he started focusing on his faith. Because he recentered and realized, you know what, my feelings are becoming too much and they're becoming overwhelming to me and I'm starting to function out of my feelings and that's not how God created me. And so I'm going to stop and I'm going to do this three-step process so that I can begin functioning again out of faith. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for us and what we're called to. We've got to begin functioning out of our faith and not let our feelings overwhelm us. And so as I think about those few things I shared with you at the beginning, I sat down Tuesday to uh, write a message for you guys. (laughs) Isn't funny how God works? I read Psalm 77 and found myself preaching again to myself at my desk. I started meditating on the way God showed up in my life. I started meditating on how he's shown up and what happened. God counseled my heart this past week. My counselor, the God Almighty, the one whom we've called so many other names started to counsel my own heart so that I might be able to stand up here and share with you this week. That you know what, these situations aren't easy. And my feelings are on the rise. But at the same time, he's going to show up. And so I asked this question of myself, how long, God, do I have to do this? <laughs> how long do I have to sit before you and remember these things in hopes that something changes? And I read this as well in the American Counseling Association. Ideally, counseling is terminated when the problem that you're pursuing counseling for becomes more manageable or is resolved. And I would say the same is true for you and I. When do you stop reminding yourself and reflecting on God's faithfulness in your life and in his history with our people and telling other people about what you do that until it brings you out of the depths of those feelings and despair. 
You just keep preaching to yourself. You just keep turning to the word and through prayer. And this past week, I did the exact same thing for my friends in Memphis. I just, I, I just know that God is going to be faithful in some way, shape, or form in that situation. The person who is struggling with anxiety, my former student who has now lost his grandparents. For those that are coworkers of mine who are begging for healing in their relationships. And I do the same for you this morning. Our feelings can't outweigh our faith. And so I encourage you, remind yourself of his great works in your life. Meditate on God's great works in our lives and in the history. And go tell others. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for this morning. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I stand up here today not uh, on a place where maybe I'm completely leaning on my faith, but still living in my feelings. And the truth is, that's going to be true at every stage of our life. And yet, I pray, God, as we walk out of here, that we check our feelings. That we won't let those overcome us this week. But instead, we would be driven back to faith in who you are. That we wouldn't doubt in the darkness what we know to be true in the light. And that is that you have done great works in our life, in the life of your people, and you will continue to do so. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.